Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. And if you want to hear more than just this highlight from the show, become a Coast Insider and you can listen to the complete program, plus recent episodes about out-of-body experiences, the scientific search for extraterrestrial life, and biblical prophecies, which may have foretold our current state of global turmoil. So head on over to coasttocoastam.com and sign up for Coast Insider to catch up on what you may have missed from coast to coast. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Jonathan Mayberry is a New York Times bestselling author and five times Bram Stoker award-winning author, anthology editor, comic book writer, magazine feature writer, playwright, content creator, and writer-teacher lecturer. He was named one of the top ten horror writers, and he has been studying the paranormal for more than 40 years. He's got a love for vampires, creatures, and the undead. Started at the age of six and continues to this day. Jonathan, welcome back. It's been about four years. Hi, George. It's great to be back. You do. Six years old, you started getting interested in this? I did. I had a, a very interesting old grandmother who uh, taught me a lot about the folklore and legends of uh, monsters in, in Europe and around the world. She had a fascination with it. So uh, I kind of was raised uh, with monsters. Did she scare you? No, she actually fascinated me. I, uh, she never made it terrifying for me because she talked about the, the, the folklore, the beliefs, but also looked into the anthropology and the science of it. So kind of helped me grow up with a, with a, a rational view of, of the belief in monsters. And, uh, I mean, there were things that did scare me, but she, she wasn't one of them. Well, that's good. Now, you have keyed in on zombies. Tell me, first of all, what the heck is a zombie? Uh, there's a couple different ways to answer that. The historical version of the zombie from Haitian uh, folklore and, and, and beliefs is somebody who is uh, brought under the power of a bokor, um, a, a sorcerer, to do their bidding. And sometimes, in their relief, sometimes that is a dead person or a person put into a trance. That's what the historical zombie was. But when most people talk about zombies these days, they're not really talking about those. They're talking about ghouls that eat, you know, living dead creatures that eat the flesh of the living. And um, this was originally a fictional construct, um, but it does have some, some uh, connections to beliefs from around the world going back many, many thousands of years. Why has Hollywood grabbed onto this, Jonathan? And uh, you, you know, you're, you've, been, you've got some experience there. I do. Um, zombies are, are fascinating. You can tell any kind of story using the zombie as a setup because you know, unlike vampires, you know, zombies don't have personality. They're, uh, they they rep- represent a massive shared threat. Once introduced, it impacts the lives of all the characters in the story. And if you, if you look at most zombie stories, including shows like The, the Walking Dead and so on, once the, the zombies are introduced, they kind of fade to the background, and the story then becomes about people in crisis. And there's no end to that. That's, that's the, the core of all drama. Hollywood will never run dry telling stories about people in crisis. <laughs> no, not at all. Are you working with George Romero? I am. George and I uh, did a project, actually launched today. And tell people who he, who he is. Well, if, if you don't know George Romero, shame on you. George Romero wrote and directed Night of the Living Dead, the very first... 1968, right? October 2nd, 1968, and I was in the movie theater when that launched. I was a 10-year-old kid who snuck in. George created the monster, um, built the genre around it, and is, is actually in Slovenia right now 
overseeing another one of his Living Dead films. So he's continued to be active in it 49 years later. Were these low budget initially? Oh, my God. The first movie, I think it was a $117,000 budget. Um, and it, it shows. I mean, it, it, the low production. You could tell, on. yeah. But at the same time, there's an earnestness to it. And it made a, a tremendous amount of money for... Uh, uh, it was actually one of the highest grossing uh, independent low budget films ever until, I think, Blair Witch, which, which then eclipsed it. But uh, very low budget, a lot of fun, and it still holds up pretty well. It's still creepy, you know, even after all these years. Now, back to zombies and some of your work with them. You're fascinated by them, aren't you? I am. Um, both from the, the fan perspective, I like a good zombie story. I like, to be, I like something that's going to try to scare me. But also from a storyteller's perspective. And I've worked with zombies in, in nonfiction and all different kinds of fiction, from comic books to short stories and novels. Uh, and uh, I absolutely love the, the exploring you know, the possibilities of it. And I like exploring the science of it, too. Every time I've seen some zombie uh, films and flicks and segments, uh, Jonathan, you know, they're coming at you, they fall on your car windshield, and they're looking at you, and then, you know, you hit them with a car and they, like, blow up or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, if, if they are actually what they're supposed to be, which is a decaying corpse, their connective tissue is going to be failing, and, and they're going through putrefaction, so a high impact, of course, would destroy them, and, and it makes it easier to, to fight them. Uh, a fresh zombie, so to speak, would be a little harder to fight because their muscle integrity would 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 be would be better, and their strength would be would be more would be greater. Are there real zombies? That's a really tricky question. Um, there aren't real zombies in the way that we see them on The Walking Dead or Z Nation, um, but there are zombies that are part of world culture that go back, you know, as I said, hundreds of years that people believed in and in some places still believe in. So I guess it depends on, on what, you, what you believe in. Um, but they're everywhere in culture. Um, they're everywhere in, in our history. And what, what makes a, a kind of a zombie model is something that eats the flesh of the living. And that actually crosses over a little bit with uh, vampires and werewolves, some of the, and ghosts too. Some of the legends aren't clearly defined like what we would consider the Hollywood version of these monsters. It's a little bit of each, you know, a risen dead corpse that feeds, feeds on people. And there are lots of different versions of that. You know, the science, as it continues to evolve, is it very conceivable that we will be able to make zombies in a laboratory? Uh, it's actually a little disturbingly possible oh, uh, to boy. a degree. When I was doing my novel, uh, Patient Zero, which was the first zombie novel I wrote, uh, I, I worked with a number of molecular biologists and, and other types of scientists to come up with as plausible a, a, a background of science for zombies. And we used a prion disease. Um, spongiform encephalitis with mad cow disease has a couple of different variations, one of which is called fatal familial insomnia. It's a, it's a disease that once you get it, you can never fall asleep again. So you, you eventually become exhausted and paranoid and delusional um, so in my story, somebody weaponized that by combining it with, with a couple of uh, uh, parasites that deliver the disease more quickly. Um, nature can't create a zombie, but bioweapons can get pretty darn close. And that's, that's a little scary. It, it, it would take money investment and a real corrupt attitude, but 
you know, we know that people build bizarre weapons anyway. That's so right. It's not unreasonable that somebody might try that if they thought, it, you know, they they could bring that to bear in a in a in a conflict where they couldn't say outgun the other side. So instead of going bigger with guns, they go smaller with with disease vectors. Are zombies supposed to be cannibalistic? Um, pretty much. We, uh, we, we think of the zombie as something that eats. It, it feeds on living flesh and recently dead flesh. Um, in the zombie stories, most of the movies and so on, they, they tend to stop feeding on human flesh after it gets cold, which is why you don't see zombies eating other zombies. Um, but uh, they are flesh eaters. They're, that's what, what they're called necrophages, something that feeds on, on human flesh. Wasn't there a case of a guy in Miami called Eugene who was higher than a kite on uh, on drugs called bath salts? But he was uh, he was a cannibal, wasn't he? He was, and uh, it was a, a really freaky story when when that happened. Actually, a lot of the Miami papers uh, gave me a call to ask me if I thought that was the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Luckily, it wasn't. It was you know deranged behavior, but there have been a few cases like that of of somebody actually um, going out of their mind and attacking and, and cannibalizing. And we certainly know that cannibalism is part of our human experience and our history. Well, I got to tell you, it is uh, a frightening topic for a lot of people, uh, and it seems to be growing. It's more prevalent, isn't it? It is. Um, there, there are a lot of reasons that the zombie concept kind of works for people because it represents a lot of what they fear. They're, the paranoia, especially these days when, when there's more of a polarization in, in, in our belief systems, whether politically, religiously, or so on. And also, uh, you know, there are wars everywhere. People seem to be turning on each other. So it's kind of easy to, to have that paranoia where somebody you know suddenly becomes something unknown to you and something threatening to you. And that's that's a, a a pretty easy metaphor for the zombie, and uh, it, it it makes it scary. It makes it immediate. Well, it sure does. Now, many people are f- fearful that uh, again. Let's get back to the advances of the medical and genetic technology that mm-hmm. uh, they could help create accidentally or otherwise zombie type people. Yeah, there there are a lot of uh, um, ways to manipulate uh, brain function to reduce the ability to, to think, to, to make somebody more suggestible, and at the same time to uh, amp up aggression. Uh, we see it in some of the new street, uh, designer street drugs like Flocka, where uh, people get very aggressive when they're coming down off their high. Well, you can take something like that and weaponize it. But probably the, the area where they're, they're, we're more likely to see a zombie-like bioweapon would be in parasites. I did a book called Dead of Night, uh, which, by the way, George Romero now considers to be the official prequel to Night of the Living Dead. And in that, I, u- I-, I explored the use of parasites, uh, tox- toxoplasma, uh, the green jewel wasp, and a few other uh, parasites that, in nature, actually do hijack uh, a host and even turn it against its own kind. We already see that in nature. So weaponizing something like that is not, sadly, is not that much of a stretch. What is the zombie apocalypse exactly, Jonathan? The zombie apocalypse would, win, would be when something like that, some weaponized pathogen, gets to the point where it breaks down enough of the infrastructure that we can't get ahead of it anymore. We can't stop it. Uh, there's no longer an opportunity for uh, police, emergency medical, 
FEMA, the military, whatever, to, to be able to control the spread of the outbreak. In limited circumstances, we can definitely do that. If it gets larger or if it, if it breaks out in several locations at once, you could have a, a geometric spread that would make it impossible ultimately to stop. Could this happen so that's the in the zombie apocalypse? Could this happen in warfare? Yes, it very much could happen in warfare, and that's kind of the idea behind uh, biological weapons. Uh, something that spreads by itself, so you don't need to continue to have your own assets in place to continue spreading it. The disease spreads. One of the uh, uh, ways of doing something like that would be to weaponize something like pertussis, like whooping cough, yeah. where you could take a, um, a, give somebody a disease that they would cough, and, and the spittle would actually spread a disease, turn an inert or a non-airborne um, disease into an airborne disease through that. And that's actually doable. That's actually possible for someone to do, which is very scary. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.